So you like bold red wine most of the time With notes of fig and raisin You like a cold brew and pitching horseshoes As the sun is fading You like football games and dishing out nicknames But Godfather's one and two But not so fast, we've got a podcast We like that too we like that too. We like that too. We like that too. We like that too. Hey, welcome back. Bon vivants to the We Like That Too podcast. This is Brad Jones. And of course, joining me in beautiful Herman, Missouri is yeah. the head Bon Vivant himself, <laughs> Mr. Keith Inlow. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Great to be back. Another fun show. Another fun show. And again, if you can tell by the timber of the sound, we are not in the happy confines of the Bon Vivant International Media Center today. We are not. We're on the road. We are on the road, and it's yep. fun. I it like fun. being We're on the road. Trip. Yep. We're going to do more of this. So if there's some ambient noise out there, it's just our huge studio audience. We're calling it the studio audience. Yeah, we have a studio audience. They just don't know that they're the studio audience. We're in a business establishment this afternoon, and people are having fun. So we're not going to interrupt that. We're going to let them enjoy what they're enjoying, and we're going to talk about that a little bit. We're going to enjoy along with them. You bet. That's right. Joining us today on the We Like That Too podcast is Mr. Don Gosen. Don is the owner of the Copper Mule Distillery here in beautiful Herman, Missouri. Don, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much. It's great to be here with you guys today. And, uh, we're glad you could join us. Don, Don was yeah. a great supporter of small business. Yes. I can tell you that. I can tell you what his NFIB voting record is, <laughs> and it's one of those triple-digit ones. Those well, are the ones that we like. I believe it was 100%. Uh, he never had less than 100%. And now, he is irony a small of business here, owner himself. Here he yeah. is. That's right. This is a beautiful facility. Beautiful facility. Tell us how the whole inspiration and, you know, the Copper Mule Distillery got started. Because, you know, traditionally, Herman is a wine and beer area, but there are distilleries popping up all over the place, and Copper Mule is one of them. How did it get started? Well, uh, my background in the the beverage industry uh, goes back way further than it should. Uh, You know, I I can go back to eight years old collecting beer cans and writing breweries, you know, Hudipole, Iron City, these breweries all across the country. Can I get some labels? Can I get some beer cans? So I was introduced to that industry, like I say, very early. Uh, used to make the visits to the 905 stores in St. Louis where you could buy single cans from all over the world. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. But, and, right. and that's really where my passion started at a very young age. I mean, I'm talking 12, 14 years old. I lived right next to Stonehill Winery. And, uh, you know, when, when Jim Hell passed away not too long ago, there was a sadness with me because this is all goes that far back. Because that was, as as we know, that was in 1965 that the Hells took over and uh, transformed the winery up there. Yeah, and and I would hang around up there, and I just created, or I had this love affair for the tourist, the tourism, the wine, and everything. And uh, my wife and I, uh, you know, went out and did our thing around the country. Lived in upstate New York for a little bit, and when I was up there, I began working uh, volunteer at a brewery up there. And this was back in the early 1990s. Uh, it was called Troy Brewing Company. And I told my wife, well, boy, this would really make it back in Herman. And so back in 90, as early as 93, we began the quest to open a small brewery here in town. Uh, it took about seven years before that happened. And about 2000, I bought the defunct Sacramento Brewing Company equipment out of Sacramento and Shipped it all out here to Herman and opened a little estate brewery on the other end of town called Bauernhof Brewery. Uh, ran that for a few years and took on a partner and moved downtown as Tin Mill Brewing Company. Tin Mill, yeah. Tin Mill uh, is is a is a staple down, it, downtown. And a, and a now. gorgeous, a gorgeous establishment. It uh, is. You know, you drive downtown through Herman and it's going to be one of the the shining stars in the crown of downtown Herman. So when you bought, when you moved into that area, then was it was not a uh, a brewery at the 
at the time you bought it. No, it, it was a feed store. It was a feed store. Right, yeah. Okay. It's an old feed there, store, there were old, You could see holes through the floors down into the basement. <laughs> I mean, it was well, a mess. Well, the restaurant part of it still has some of those same features, does it? Last time I was in it anyway, the the scales and the, the pulleys and stuff where they would move from one floor to another, it's still there. Yeah, a lot yeah. of the original equipment uh, in the old, in the production building, uh, you know, there's still the old grain yeah. cleaner exists that sits in the upstairs area. So it it really is. It's a jewel for the downtown area. It has a great ambiance. All that yeah. all that history and that uh, uh, you know, um, well, I'm losing patina. It. Patina. That's the word patina I'm looking for. Patina. It it's has got a lot, lot of patina. natural patina on it. Yeah, it's but, very cool. So you own that. We started on the other end of town. We moved downtown. We took on a partner. He then bought us out of that back in 2016. Okay, and I very restless person i didn't stay quiet for long and my wife and i began developing this property we planted some vineyards and brought a road out here and uh, this was part of her old family farm the original acreage and trying to decide what we were going to do and it took a little bit and uh, i was on a little uh, kentucky bourbon trail tour and i'm like you know i like i love bourbon we've been on the bourbon trail trail. and we loved it too. we love bourbon also yep yeah and then everything started to fall into place we started looking at it and we're reading the newspaper the herman newspaper one day and my wife reads where 125 years ago today her great-grandfather had helped start Herman Distilling Company back in 1893. Wow. And we did not even know that. And she asked her dad, Dad, why didn't you share this with us? And he's like, well, you know, Mom and Dad didn't care much for alcohol, so they didn't, (laughs) you know, that was part of the family history that got uh, swept under the rug. Yeah, Uh, yeah. But it was a great inspiration for us. Oh, no kidding. uh, To continue on with that. It was meant to be. Absolutely. It was Uh, meant to be. So were you able to carry any of those family traditions forward into what you're trying to do today not really uh prohibition took a bigger hit on herman than most places uh like st louis and that's because we were at the time i believe the third largest wine producing town in the entire country and so the revenuers were here and they shut things down and they tore stuff up Uh, we've got a couple of her uh, great-grandfather's original whiskey jugs upstairs uh, we know of about four of them. We've got two of them, and the other people are not selling. So <laughs> it, to find the old uh, memorabilia is very tough uh, yeah. because of what happened in Herman during Prohibition. Yeah, well, of, as we learned up there, they were producing, I, this is unbelievable, 1.2 million gallons of wine up there at Stonehill. Stonehill, yeah. Yeah, oh, it, wow. at one point, the whole town was producing right at 3 million gallons a year prior to Prohibition. Wow. wow. Which, yeah. Especially back then when you consider the uh, population of the country and what that would mean in gallons today, that's a lot of wine. Yeah. And they went from that to mushrooms, which, exactly. I, lo- which I love too, but, you know, it is kind of... Actually, I like them together. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, I like Wine them. and mushrooms, can't go wrong. I like them together. But I think, you know, one of the cool things you did with the with the brewery, too, is you brought some entertainment, you brought some live music in down there. That that whole corner of Herman has just transformed itself into a, a real, this is where you want to go when you come to come oh, Herman. Yeah. Absolutely. And coming out here is going to be another place, I guarantee. You've got, you've got another gem out here, Don. I'll tell you, sitting here looking out the the window right now, but there's a back patio, there's a property that with a vista that you just can't describe, but you're going to have a lot of fun out here. Yeah, when we walked to the top of the hill, you know, we can see about 30 miles, 35 yeah. miles by the crow flies yeah. from wow. the top of the hill. So. Well, Brad and I were talking about enjoying some live music or something out here on a summer afternoon, and I said, this be a good place for, a, you know, a, a local musician to come and play, and he said, the size of this place, you can have a concert out here. <laughs> <laughs> and we do. We yeah. uh, Nearly every Saturday during the summer, we have live music, anywhere nice. from uh, an individual that'll perform to, we've got this group, uh, this bluegrass band, and yeah. They'll bring six to ten people out and just sit there and jam, and uh, we'll have a lot of fun with it. Uh, and customers love it. You know, we, we like to think we've kind of got the the best of all worlds here. We've got an amazing view. We've got a great product. We've got a wonderful facility, and, uh, you know, it's just a, it's an awesome place to visit. You said the magic word. Yeah. Product. Yeah. So, as you know, this show, we start off with one bottle of something. We're going to sample some product, and we want you to tell us about it, okay? Uh, so it's Copper Mule Distillery, um, and Don has graciously set up a little sample card here for us and everything. So this is like a fish. Walk us through what we're going to taste and tell us, you know, how you make it, what it's all about. 
So we are what you'd call a weeded bourbon distillery. Okay. Uh, give you some names of some weeded bourbons, uh, Maker's Mark, sure. uh, Weller's, Weller's is probably uh, the Wilderness biggest, Trail, known, yeah. Pappy Van Winkle. Yep. Yep. Uh, there's a lot to be said for weeded bourbons. All of our recipes that we make are, I'd say 95% are the same recipe. It's a recipe of uh, yellow corn, soft red winter wheat, malted barley. Now, we do do some rye products as well, but everything mm-hmm. you're going to taste is going to be a weeded bourbon. It's going to be the same recipe. The differences between these three items we're going to taste is their aging time, their proofs, uh, the barrel itself. Every barrel is different. You know, no two barrels are made the same. And, you know, a lot of people... Uh, think of single barrel bourbons and that's their favorite thing but there can be single barrels that maybe aren't so good uh, you know sometimes i'll go down and i'll taste a barrel and i'm like well this could use a little work and then i'll taste another one uh, like the one i was saying how are we going to describe this one to the customers and i said well how about heaven because you know if there's <laughs> bourbon in heaven i think this is what it's going to taste like I like to think there's bourbon in it. Well, let me, let me jump in before we taste this because I think it's, I think it gives context. You've also been, were you president of the Missouri Distillers Association? Yes. And I, so I was president of the Missouri uh, Craft Distillers Grilled, Guild. Guild. Okay. Yes. Uh, you know, I'm one of those people that when I start doing something, I kind of jump in in a big way. When I owned the brewery, I actually became a certified brewmaster. Uh, I dive into it, and I've done the same with distilling, very active with the uh, guild here in Missouri, you know, always learning. Had the opportunity back about six years ago, I went to Moonshine University in Louisville, Kentucky. And today I'm proud to say I actually go back and participate on the other side of the table uh, as an instructor, as a, a panel member, just sharing with these new distillers what I was wanting to learn about six years ago. And that's one of my favorite parts is sharing what I've learned uh, with others wanting to do the same thing, you know, and our guild is a perfect example that we all pull for each other a hundred percent. We don't have infighting, anything like that. We're all, you know, trying to make everybody else better because we know it makes ourselves better. Well, and the growth of craft distilleries in not only in Missouri, but across the country has been tremendous lately. And Missouri has more craft distilleries than Kentucky. Now, we don't have more large distilleries, <laughs> but we have more craft distilleries uh, operating DSPs, you know, yeah, uh, yeah. in Missouri than they do in Kentucky. So, And cool. you have your own bill now. You have your own piece of legislation right. that I can only imagine you might have had a little hand in. Well, uh, a few years ago, I, I wrote what I called the Missouri Bourbon Bill and uh, had that. Uh, had a friend of mine in the Capitol, filed it, and everybody came out against it. Part of it, they didn't understand it. And so, uh, you know, the guild wasn't, initially wasn't in favor of it. Uh, some of the big distilleries weren't in favor of it. By the time I explained it to them, we got the Missouri corn growers on board. Uh, it, it was an awesome piece of legislation about a real Missouri product. I mean, Missouri is, is set up to be the bourbon uh, distillery capital of the world. And, and, we're the only state that has the bar- the white oak, the American white yep. oak supply yep. to make the barrels. We have the great corn. There are corn, corn growers. Yeah, that'd be cool. Well, let's I taste. Think we should, let's I taste think we try yeah, one. I make just now, to try I'm, it. now I'm all ready to go. So what do, what do we got? We got Copper well, Mule 1893. So yeah, let's try that. That's on the left. That's our 1893. So my wife's great grandfather started Herman Distilling Company in 1893. We named this bourbon uh, to honor him. Now this is a blend we do. And what we're blending, when I go and taste barrels, and if I taste a barrel, I'm like, you know, this isn't single barrel quality. Uh, this is, you know, but yet it's it's good enough. It, it's a really good bourbon ready to drink. Uh, you know, if I taste a bourbon and it's not ready to drink, we'll leave it in the rack house another year. But there's that middle of the road, and we do a blend. Uh, you know, sometimes blends get a bad rap, but you look over in Scotland, there's some 400 uh, brand labels for scotch, but only a hundred distilleries. And those other 300, what they're doing is they're blending, they're blending. Yep. bourbons. They're buying bourbons. So blends can be really good. Sometimes I will take two bourbons that are good, not great. And all of a sudden I have this really awesome bourbon. So this is a blend. It's 84 proof. Uh, it's what we've been selling uh, from the, the opening. So, um, it's about three year. All of our bourbons right now are about three year old, okay. three years old, because that's you. how long we've been distilling here. Yeah. Three years. Uh, what, what size? Uh, what size barrels are you? 
we use all 53 right gallon. 53. I do no okay. small barrels. No. Uh, I, I don't do a lot of the, what I call trickery. <laughs> I'm, everything's old fashioned. Yeah. The way we yeah. make our spirits, the grains, you know, we don't add sugar to anything. Sure. Um, sure. everything we do is very much old fashioned. What do you think, Keith? What do you hear? What well, do you, what I'm, do you I'm, smell I'm trying to get, I'm, I'm, I was going to try and describe nose first because, you know, we, we smell before we taste usually, but. I get some vanilla notes off of this. Um, there's an herbaceousness I can't describe. I'm not sure what it is. I want to taste it first and see if I can pick it up. But it's not strong. No, I I was noticing too. Um, there's there's almost like a terroir to this in in wine terms. Is a is a bourbon of the land. Is, well, as I get you know, it. Mellow, it. mellow is used in the description, and I think that's very apt. Uh, yeah. I, it, it's very smooth. It goes down very smooth. I do get vanilla on the tongue, and I get a little bit of. Um, it's not quite caramel, but it's close along the edges of my tongue. But it's yeah, it's very nice. Very, it's not overly sweet. You know, a lot of people don't like bourbon because they say it's sweet. I don't have a problem with that, but I don't either. This is not what I would consider an overly I sweet. This, I don't think this is sweet. No, I don't call. I would not consider this sweet. No, um, no. I, again, I think this is a great bourbon for somebody that's just learning. You know what bourbons are all about. It's not. I agree. The, the proof is at a good level. Uh, the flavor. Is it you know at appropriate place? It's not overly sweet. It's not bitter. There's not a lot of tannins left in it. It's there's just in a good. There's place. no fire and heat in the throat, which no. a lot of people turn. You know, my wife. You know, she wants to try bourbon, but she doesn't like that heat on the back of the throat. The I don't mis- get the, any the of Missouri that. The Missouri hug. Yeah, not the Kentucky hug. The Missouri. The, yeah. the Missouri hug. Very nice. Very nice. Thank I you. Think it's and great color. I mean, I love the color. The color is beautiful. On it's, 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 it's uh, a little lighter than what you might consider a lot of traditional bourbons. It's not that dark amber color, but it's gold, almost a golden honey color. Beautiful. Beautiful color. I bet, I bet when we finish the, uh, the show, I bet that we could probably get one upstairs with a rock in it. And I bet that would, you know, and that, that's much. one of the things that, you know, when we taste bourbon in, in Kentucky, we learned, you know, you, you do it neat and then add a drop of water. And yeah. Then, and, uh, but this doesn't need it. It doesn't need anything to, yeah, this is good. Nope. Very good. Nice job. Good. good job. Nice job. So, so what's the price point on the, um, 1893. So that is $36 okay. for a so 750. Very accessible. Perfect. Yeah, very accessible. So Don, since you've been just distilling for about three years now, what, what are your plans for the aging process? Because, you know, age in a barrel does change the characteristics of the product. So what do you want to see happen with that? Well, I'd like to go out a little longer. Uh, you know, we're, our demand is far outweighed our expectations, yeah, yeah. which is great. But it's requiring us to pull some of those barrels out of the rack house before maybe we'd like to. I thought at this point, half the barrels that I've made it, you know, that have reached age would still be sitting there waiting to become a six-year-old bourbon. Right. But we've had to pull some out a little earlier than that. And uh, as I look into the future, we're going to be, we're just not going to have enough. And that was part of the reason uh, my wife and I began an expansion about uh, four months ago. Uh, you know, a major expansion yeah. of capital. Go ahead and, and tell and, everybody yeah, tell about, it about it because we're looking we at can, We can we're see what at, you're talking about. We're, but looking tell at, the, we're looking at where the space is right down down yonder. Tell the Bobby Vance what you got planned. Well, our, our current rack house holds about 150 barrels. And our new one that we're starting construction on uh, uh, next Monday will hold 3,000 barrels. Wow. And, <laughs> and that's just one of three that are planned. But more importantly, uh, we're taking our distillation system going from where we could make anywhere from four to six barrels a month to being able to make 200 barrels every month. And that's just running a single shift. Uh, so people say, wow, you're building a big rack house, 3,000 barrels. And I'm like, yeah, but I'll, I'll fill that in 15 months. So yeah. it's not as big. And, and, it's an- and you mentioned a new still that you're getting ready to, to install? Yeah, we're getting a new still. Uh, it's already been ordered. It's, you know, down payments made. It's, un- it's in production. It's coming from Vendome, uh, out of uh, Louisville, Kentucky. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, they've made stills for companies you might have heard of, like Jim Beam, Maker's but, Mark, Jack Daniels. Is it going to be a big Willet still? Well, I think you described it as a column still. Isn't it's it? it's still. a continuous yeah. column. Yeah. So it's about 30 foot tall. 30 foot column. Have to build still. A, yeah, that's a, a special building. Wow. Just that's to a house big one. It. Yeah, that's nice. Um, 
and and it's nice. It's you know, it's one of those things when you're a purist in bourbon, you think, oh, everything's got to be done on the pot still. That's that's where the quality is. But you know, after spending time in the industry and and you learn that no, it's it's sometimes it's that consistency and yeah. the things that a continuous still can offer you. Uh, so we're really excited about it. Uh, unfortunately, things are happening in the world today that uh, change our plans day to day. You know, uh, we need a lot of big stainless steel tanks. Uh, one of the big uh, metals that goes into stainless steel is nickel. The biggest nickel mine in the world is in Russia. So guess yeah. what happened to stainless prices yeah. last yeah. week? Yeah, yeah. And, and everything else. Yeah. Well, yeah. maybe address this because I've heard other people who are trying to get into the brewing and distillery business are are saying don't ever buy new buy used are, are there used uh is there used equipment available or where there, are you at there there is used equipment um we actually sold all of our old equipment and we sold it for approximately uh 30% more than what we paid for it wow so maybe it should buy new yeah. <laughs> and new new is, new is actually cheaper well there you if go it's, but but you have to wait for it. Yeah. And there's people that want to start distilling tomorrow, so they'll pay a premium yeah. if they can get their hands on it a little quicker. Yeah. So it's a you know the prices are going up, the values are going up, uh, and there's just not that much that comes up for sale. And and even the people that are sitting there, they've got an extra pot still sitting there. They're reluctant to let it go because they never know when they may want to do yeah. some specialty sure. product with yeah, it, yeah. a single malt or something like or that. Or when the prices might go up again. Yeah. <laughs> Cash flow is an evil taskmaster, yeah, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right. So the second one we've got here, and you're telling us that, if I understood you correctly, your mash bill is basically all the same. You're just talking about how you're proofing it and aging it differently. Correct? Yes. And, and you know, uh, I had two barrels. It was our 10th barrel that we had made, the 11th barrel we made. I made them six days apart, same barrel, same recipe, everything. They tasted nothing alike. Yeah. Uh, you know, what? maybe the tree in one of those barrels came out of a, a very fast-growing oak tree that had, uh, you know, so many rings per inch. And so there's the, the wood itself makes a big difference. That's why they call it an art. I mean, it's not, you know, it's not exact science. It's everything's different. So uh, do you mind sharing your mash bill? I mean, uh, if it's not proprietary, it's it's very similar to, uh, say a maker's mark, 70% yellow corn, 20% soft red winter wheat, 10% malted barley. Okay. Uh, you know, very similar to a lot of the weeded bourbons out there. This was our 12th barrel that we made. So. Given a low number, yeah, this was back in the very early days. So this, the color on this is a little deeper. It's a little darker. A little, a little more of a, what you might think of a, as a traditional bourbon color. Nose-wise, what do you think, Brad? It's got a deeper nose than the first one. I get more alcohol off of the nose. Well, I don't it's, know it's if a it'll, little bit higher I don't know proof. if it'll taste. Yeah, well, that may be it. Um, yeah. It probably is. And I hate to use the word because I think it has a negative connotation, but I don't mean it to be negative. But I, I get a more astringent or medicinal nose off of it in that it's not it's not as vanilla or caramely see and, i just made up those two words caramely? and i've had and i've had people say that but i feel when you drink this one you're gonna taste more i haven't of that, tasted it yet so i, re- I reserve so. judgment so let I, me, that's why i'm sitting here letting you guys say what you think because i don't want to influence what you might say about it so the taste on the palate is completely different than the nose well and we've had bourbons that have done that well you know, we've you, stuck you our, get wines and, and bourbons both that we, do that we've got they, a, we've got a bourbon club down in jeff city and uh at barvino uh which is our bottle sponsor we have a a bourbon sommelier down there his name's kevin perry he's really good and prior prior guest on the on the podcast yes he is kevin, and yeah. uh and Kevin is real good about not telling you what you're supposed to be tasting. Yeah. yeah. You know, and so, uh, uh, but he, but we've had bourbons before. You stick your nose in there and you think, and then you try it. This and you is, think, this is that. This, this, is, this that. is not taste like it than the nose. And it's pleasant to taste. It's, um, it is higher proof. So there is a little more heat on the tongue, but not fire. It's no. not, it's not burning. It's certainly not burning the back of my throat. I do get the heat up front little, on my tongue. I felt it a little on the top of, my, of the roof of my mouth. Yeah, yeah, it's up. It's more up front. It's not in the back, and I'm still not getting. Yeah, but I'm not getting a burn down the throat. No, I'm not like either. That. Some bourbons, you know, 
I can see my wife doesn't like them. She, it, it just burns going down. I don't like those bourbons either. Yeah, I don't like those. Well, some you feel like you can either drink them or put them in your car. You know, one of the two, you know, like the white, you know, the dog coming right off the still. And I was like, oh, well. Now, one thing we do, uh, spend a lot of money on is a good barrel. Uh, we use what's called a Cooper Select barrel. The difference, those stays have aged at least 18 months, 18 to 24 months. Wow. Uh, that's going to help. You know, you've got bacteria in the wood during that aging process that are breaking down some of those tannins, and you're going to lose some of that bite with a barrel that's been aged a little longer. And then what are you doing as far as a toast or a char on any Well, of those? we're doing a, a medium-plus toast, Okay, not just on the barrel. We're, we're toasting and charring the ends as well. That's okay. part of a Cooper Select from Independence Dave. All right. Um, and then we're doing a number three char. Okay. Uh, and, you know, it, about uh, five years ago, I had a chance to have a dinner with Bill Samuels, whose mom and dad started Maker's Mark, and he shared some secrets with me. And oh, nice. one of those was on the barrel and nice. uh, the recipe. And, and I do like Maker's Mark, but I like a lot of bourbons. Uh, you know, I. We'll get I, into that. We'll yeah. talk about yeah, that yeah. because we've, we've uh, you know, through this, um, through this uh, whiskey club, you know, it's kind of opened up our uh, horizons a little bit to, to different things. And but, but when we went down there, that was one of the greatest experiences. We can't wait to go back down yeah. and do the bourbon trail again. Yeah, do it again. Because it was. Uh, well, we want to hit some places we didn't get to the first there's time. There's a couple for places sure. we didn't get to. Wow. But you know what, Don, the thing that was uh, interesting and what, what struck me too is when I look out back door here with that big uh, flat piece of property that's going to have a big rickhouse on it there i don't think keith there was one single distillery we went to down there that wasn't being worked yeah. on it wasn't being expanded uh i mean it was unbelievable they and can't the, keep up with demand either and they can't yeah. and the tasting rooms are absolutely fun i mean i remember the guys yeah. talking about Oh, the tasting rooms were these, <laughs> they were, they were these little bitty things. <laughs> you kind of went in and they poured you. Now they're these unbelievably huge, well, gorgeous. I, I mean, look at Beam's deal yeah. that they've got. It's, I'm a member of a couple of social media pages. One of them is Ozark Bourbon Society. One of them is Missouri Bourbon Finders. The whole purpose of these pages is to help people identify where they can find stuff, stuff that's hard to find. Stuff that isn't on the shelves anymore because the demand has outdriven the supply. And so uh, I do want to say one thing before we move on. So that that was the J.D. Select Barrel 12 92 Proof Butterscotch. The last taste I got along the edges of my tongue was that it was more than buttery. It was like a butterscotch caramel taste. Yeah, very nice. Who's Thank J- you. Who's Thank J.D.? You. Well, J.D. is my father-in-law. Okay. Uh, you know, he's been a lot of uh, the inspiration for my wife and I here on the property. He's He's been raising mules on this property. Well, he was raising them for, he's 91, for about 85 of those years. He was actually born on this property. Oh, wow. Uh, comes out here during the summer every day and, uh, you know, waters the cattle and uh, just still very active, never slows down. Uh, he's always been one of those people that really strives for excellence whether he's you know a training a mule team or yeah. planting yeah. row crop or you know been a farmer all his life he was also an auctioneer uh and just like i say an inspiration and a big big part of this project and helping us pull it off successfully do you have a mule mascot we do not. We do not. We had the opportunity you to have to a... You need to get a nice you, big... Don, you got room for mules. Yeah, to, you, you need to get a pair We have room for them. Mules. <laughs> we have room for them, but I don't have the time to take care well, of them. Well, I know. I did ask my father-in-law, would he help me? He said, not a chance. He goes, I've got 85 years of doing no. that. I'm not doing it one more. So, <laughs> so but, I, I do think it's ironic that you are a state represent. You were a state representative, and growing up here, that must have been an honor to get to represent present you know the herman area and which you did for six years and i think it's ironic that there is another individual named charlie schlottich yeah did you serve with charlie no i did not you but did i not. know charlie but yeah. charlie has the white mule which is up 19 yeah, and, and winery I, it's a winery so I think right as a former state reps you have to open a place the and white you gotta mule have, and you got to have mule in the in the title yeah, yeah. so that you know, Missouri Mule is the, the the state Missouri mascot. That's and, right. Uh, yeah. He's got a he's got a great place up. up north Absolutely, yeah. The white Absolutely. the White Mule uh, Winery is is a, a nice little spot in the road too. Yeah, it is. Hey, Bon Vivants, don't go away. We'll be right back. 
Hey, Bon Vivants, you know when We Like That Too was launched, we knew very little about what was needed to promote the podcast online. That's right. So we turned to Greg Arnold at GAA Consulting. GAA Consulting was a lifesaver helping us get things started. Greg is a small business owner who loves helping small businesses grow. He takes the time to listen to your business goals. GAA Consulting will custom design your website and create a digital marketing strategy to help you reach those goals. Every project is tailor-made to meet your small business needs and preferences. And Greg can teach you to manage things yourself or... You can hand things over to him, and he'll lighten your workload. You know, if your business needs help building an online presence, visit GAAConsultingLLC.com. That's GAAConsultingLLC.com. Custom solutions for your small business needs. And thanks to Greg for sponsoring the podcast. Hey, Bon Vivants. Welcome back. There's one more here. There's there a select is. We got fifteen. You know, we don't want to. We don't want to discriminate. We and, better and do you this gotta last save, one. You got to save heaven for last because I they, love the description. They just put heaven right on the right on I there. Mean, they're not even apologetic. They're telling they you right put, where you're going. Put right? heaven right on the on the on the card here. All right. So, so, tell, so us, Don, tell, tell us about this. One. So Don, well, this, tell us about this, heaven. This was our fifteenth <laughs> barrel, and this was one. You know, when I went down, tasted it, um, and and I never know going in when that spirit is going into the barrel how i'm going to proof it when it's coming out uh that's all you know based on that particular bourbon when i start tasting i'll make that i'll take that first taste at about a year the next one at about two years and by the third year this one this was really tasting good and so i said i'm going to leave this at 100 proof of course my math was off that day so it ended up at 98 proof uh and i just felt i mean for a 98 proof bourbon i i i like the higher proofs I was just very pleased with the way this turned out. It's, it's, I, I really enjoy this bourbon. I All mean, right. So, when, so, so this one though, I can taste with my nose. Yeah. And I will, t- I will put it on my tongue also, oh. but I, you know, the nose on this is delightful. It is to me. You know, I'm anxious to, tr- to taste it, but I don't want to, I don't want to rush it because I'm picking up. It's, it's more than, it probably smells sweeter than the other two, but I think it's not going to taste sweeter for some reason. Well. To me, it does. Okay. Well, um, let me you know, see. No, let's try. It. Let's see what happens. Boy, that's well balanced. And I almost pick up honey in it. It is. I, it's, I, I no, you're going, right. That's yes. a great. I mean, that great little descriptor. honey. Again, there's no burn here. But it's warm. Um, but it's warm. And this is 98. It's nice and warm. It's between 98 and 100 proof. Somewhere around there. <laughs> it's close. There is no burn, but it does have that nice little warmth. You know, you can, sitting you around can a fire, a fire pit or something, sipping on this. I get the honey, but it's not honey flavored. No, you know no, what no, I mean? No, 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 It's, you know, it's not like a flavored honey, which right. is very popular these days. These flavored whiskeys are very popular, but no, I, I get exactly what you're saying. Very nice. Good job. It's almost well, like the clover or whatever the honey would come from that you're pick, that I pick up because I get a little bit of herbal notes on behind it. Not strong. Uh, that's just my palate. I'm just one man. So, so let me so, ask you when you when you seriously up production, what's your plans? You've got three really strong bourbons here. Are you wanting to do some get into some other things? Probably not. No. Uh, you know, I'm I'm some distillers that start in bourbon, they, they kind of waft into other things. You know, they make a vodka, they make a rum, or they make a no, gin I'm, or something. No, I'm planning on staying pretty well focused Good. right here on bourbon. Uh, another thing I would like to mention, so my uh, my last name is Gosen. My uh, great-great-grandfather uh, came from the Rhineland of Germany, settled Rhineland, Missouri. Uh, or no, moved, I'm sorry, moved to the United States in 1865 and bought the family farm in 1870. And that is where all the corn from this bourbon came from. Uh, my cousin runs a farm. That's incredible. And, and it's 100, 152 years old now in the nice. family. And every bit of corn from this bourbon you just tasted comes off the family well, farm. Well, and we drove through Rhineland on the way up here. Rhineland is in the Missouri River Valley, the richest dirt and soil you can find for farming. You bet. And, and certainly in Missouri and a long way around. It's It's that alluvial soil that is just rich and deep and dark and... What a great place to source your your grain from. 
and and and, and, and what the a, historical and what aspect a, of it too. I mean, yeah, yeah, and and you know you you got love in there, man. You know, absolutely. You got yeah. you got family and you got love. No in kidding. There, which That's a makes great story. It, which just makes it even even better. Yeah, very cool. Well, thank you for thank you for sharing thank, those. Thank with you us. for sharing these, Don. Those were those these, were delightful. Great. Yeah, we'll, those are great. Yeah. And uh, Bon Vivants, if, if you ever make a trip to the Herman area, be and sure to come out and stop by the Copper Mule and sample and taste and buy. And I will tell you that uh, our, our executive producers in the program, who are not straight bourbon drinkers, are enjoying a very nice cocktail, I think, made with some of these products. Which I'm, I'm, I'm just kind of hoping that after we break down here and we can go maybe take a small tour, we might, we might get one of those upstairs yeah, to, not, to not, walk around a little bit. I don't know. Do you think we should do that? I think we should. All right. It's Friday. You're a bad influence on me. <laughs> <laughs> Twist my arm. Always have been. Uh, always will be. What else about the distillery, Don, and your future plans? Do you want to share anything uh, or any trends you're seeing in the business you know what 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 do the next three to five years look like for you well you know i uh, i got into the craft beer business really back in 93 1993 when it was just taken off yeah um your timing I, was good there <laughs> and and you know so i i saw the development of that now a little side note before i finish back in 1996 a friend good friend of mine very good friend of mine uh was the master brewer down at morgan street brewery on the landing in st louis yeah. and we got this wild idea to run down to Tennessee and get a couple of Jack Daniels barrels and put some oatmeal stout in those barrels. This is 1996. Yeah. You know what? 26 years ago. And it was wonderful. It was the best beer I'd ever had. And so they started offering samples in the restaurant and people couldn't, they're like, this is terrible. It has this, it's like beer that has, tastes like bourbon and gave away one barrel, dumped the other. Today, those glasses of beer would have been worth 20 bucks a glass. It's yeah. just, uh, you know, got into that and saw the trends, the ups and downs. The first craft brewers conference I went to had 300 of us. The last one had 26,000 people. So what's going on in the bourbon business right now makes that look like wow. kids play. Yeah. Uh, what yeah. the expansion here and it's just, you know, getting a hold of bottles, getting a hold of raw materials, equipment yeah. Yeah. is much more challenging than the craft beer business ever was. Well, and the oh, bar- that's exciting. You know, the, the barrel, the whole barrel thing is fascinating to me too, because we've talked about independent stave, you know, and I, I guess for Keith and I, it really drove it home given the fact we, we've been through Lebanon, Missouri a lot of times. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, it, it really brought it home when we went and, you know, almost every single one of the major players down there said, ah, yeah, we get our, we got our barrels from, uh, Independence Dave and Lebanon. And now they've since built their own plant there in, yeah, right in, in the middle in of Lebanon, Town. Kentucky. Well, in yeah, Lebanon, in Lebanon, Kentucky. It's Lebanon, Le- Kentucky. Oh, that's yeah. right. Lebanon, Lebanon Kentucky. Lebanon and Lebanon, yeah. Which is yeah. really ironic. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. So you look at the, look at the hoops on the barrel and there's two rivets on every hoop. And if the, on the barrel it has an M and an O, it was made at the, Lebanon, Missouri. If it's a KY, it was made in Lebanon, Kentucky. So that's the way you'll know in the future oh, where wow. that barrel came Very cool. From. Very right. cool. So the third portion of the show is our three top picks. And Brad, uh, why don't you introduce the three top picks? Because you kind of worked it out with Don on what well, we're Well, we today. talked about it, and sometimes we we go to type, and sometimes we don't. So one of the things Don and I talked about, um, he, lived, he loves history. He loves to go to distilleries. <laughs> he loves to go to breweries. Um, which I know Keith and I don't like to do that. No, but no, anyway, no. Uh, but the other thing you mentioned was that uh, you like to go to museums. So you said you all enjoyed going, you love history and you love museums. So what we do is we uh, we have three top picks, and we always let the guests go first. You do one, I do one, Keith does one, and we just kind of go around and 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 talk about whatever the, the topic du tell, jour might be. Tell the story, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So. So, so you're first. Three what, three top yeah. favorite museum experiences. Yeah. Well, my my top uh, is the Smithsonian. Yeah. Uh, first time I visited there, I was a senior in high school. We were on our senior trip, and the plan was everybody go in the front door of the Smithsonian, keep moving, go out the back door, and there was a little bar that served eighteen year olds beer in Washington <laughs> D.C. at the time. Wow. <laughs> And this is a new revelation because yeah. I didn't know that. I knew they did it in Kansas, but uh, now that was eighty one. Yeah. I don't know yeah. if it's the same today. Yeah. So everybody's following the plan. 
And I get in there and all of a sudden I stop and I start looking at stuff. And I didn't make it out the back door. Most of my, now I hope, I hope none of my classmates are listening. I'm kind of ratting on them here, but, uh, they made it and I ended up spending the whole day, you know, and got back late. They were back from their bars earlier than I was just because I got wrapped up in it. And, uh, and that That's was really, story. that was really the start of my history buff days, uh, yeah. because I'm looking at this stuff and I'm like, I can't believe this stuff really exists, that we have this, that yeah. I can look at yeah. stuff that was around 2000 years ago and here it is. And I can, I mean, it, it, yeah. it really caught me off guard yeah. uh, to be 18 years old and fall in love with history like that. The Smithsonian's a place to do it too. That's, yeah. and you're right. Yeah. I've got a couple others, but they were yeah. my honorable mentions. I, I, I remember the first time that we went, I went to the air and space because you got four or five of them in there. Right. You could spend months in there. You know, um, the American history one, of course, I, yeah, I, I really love that one yeah. too, but yeah. the air and space museum, you know, uh, we're about the same age and, and to see some of those capsules and, and some of those, uh, you know, the things that we saw on TV with, uh, some of our, our heroes really yes. that we saw in the, in the Gemini space, uh, program and, and there they were. They were actually there in the museum. You could walk up, you could look, look in the little windows and stuff. Right. I always yeah. thought was, and then the fact that they could hang some of those. I always thought, well, even, man, even, this is a strong building. You can even hang the size, that thing from the top. Even the size, Brad, you know, you saw that Gemini capsule and you're like, wow, that's not very big. Oh, that freaks me out. I got a little claustrophobia anyway. Yeah, it yeah. crammed into that and oh, then yeah. spinning around, you know, the, the, well, the earth. And I had an uncle who was, worked on the Gemini project down Ooh. from McDonnell Douglas. And so that added a little more to something oh, yeah, like that cool. to me, you know, thinking yeah, that very cool. here he actually was, uh, he was yeah. a rocket scientist. Yeah. So it really was rocket science. He really was. It really was rocket science. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, well, my first one, because I, I, I also am like Brad. There, there are these givens. I think in the in the museum world, the Smithsonian is one of them. Certainly, yeah. You know, like the Shedd Aquarium, Shed, yeah. or I went to a really great aquarium in Baltimore. You know, are they museums? I don't know. In a way, maybe it's they're living museums. But anyway, so I I cut it down. I'm I focused on museums that made an impact on me. And like you, Don, it was you know a lot of times when I was younger, my first experience. One of them was um, the Museum of Science and Industry in Chicago. Did we double on that one? We doubled. So there's more than one we don't museum. Talk about it. There's we, more he than and I don't talk about them. Yeah, so. there's more than one museum of science science and industry in the in the country. And in fact, the Field Museum complex has a science and industry section, but that's not the one I'm talking about. This one is a little farther south. It's still on the lake shore. But I was in high school and we took a field trip and. The thing I remember about it was they had taken a human body and they had vertically sliced a human body into about one half inch sections and put those sections between glass. And the glass were mounted on the wall like pages of a book and you could turn and you could see a whole human body that stretched like along about a 12 foot section of wall. And it was fascinating to me just to see a cross-section of a human body and then to see all the cross-sections lined up was one of the most fun museums I've ever been. They also have a wonderful Museum of Natural History there where you have all the, the animals. That's that the Fields Museum. That's Yeah, the Field the field Museum has that. And uh, Well, so, I uh, had that one too. Yeah. And I, and there, and I might have had it for a different reason because I was younger when we went um, because my cousins took us up there. It was one of the few museums that, you know, usually you just kind of walked around and looked at stuff. But but the Science and Technology Museum in Chicago is really geared towards kids. And so there was a lot of interactive stuff that you could do. You push buttons and things lit up and, and you know, they had experiments yeah. and they had stuff yeah. like that. But Brenda and I went back um, when we went up to Chicago and they had the U-505 submarine. It was amazing. There were very, very few German submarines that they actually captured because they usually blew them up. They captured this one. You talk about claustrophobia. Oh, oh my God. This thing was like this big, long sausage. It was a, it was a big tube, and it, it was at a 
the thing that really freaked me out is you had two shifts, and when you were finished with your shift, you went to your bunk, and then the guy got up, and you, he got in your bunk. Yeah. So there yeah. was only yeah. one bunk for two of you. Right, right. And when you got off the ship. But you, we, you could actually go and you could walk through this thing. Yeah. And I just thought, and they were down there for six months or something. Oh, yeah. I was just like, oh, my God. Yeah, I felt sorry for whoever the dude was that had to open the hatch, you know, when they got back. You didn't want to be close to that. That. I no, can imagine. but the guy who probably opened the hatch from the inside was the luckiest guy in the boat because he, he got was, the he got the first breath of fresh air. He did something right. Yeah. But, but anyway, that's a fantastic museum. Yeah. And the Fields Museum. We went on that same trip. Yeah, the Fields complex see, is unbelievable. And to see all of yeah. the animals and everything, yeah. it had a yeah. it had a real impact. So Chicago was, has a, a plethora of really good museums. Yeah. yeah. All right, Don. Number two, my second. I know it shouldn't be, but the Louvre. You know, well, uh, why it, shouldn't it be? Because everybody would list that if you ask, you know, <laughs> that's four right. billion people on the planet, they're going to put the Louvre. But I think it's a pretty solid you know, choice. I spent two days there with my oldest daughter, yeah, and it, just the size of the thing was amazing. Yeah. But you know, yeah. to be able to go see the Mona Lisa, and and again to look at antiquities, things that are three thousand years old, a thousand years old paintings from the masters. You just don't get to do that every day. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. once you see them, you appreciate them that much more. Oh, you yeah. you look at these paintings and you're like, what's the big hubbub? Why would somebody pay this much money? And then all of a sudden you see that painting in real life. You're like, oh, my goodness. Yeah. You know, that you've only seen in yeah. the books. Yeah. yeah, you've seen them in the history books and the, and the art history books and stuff. And you're like, that's really it. Yeah, there's a there's a, there's something about it when you see some of those kind of paintings and you see them we talked about that the other day when we were talking about that painting the 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 night watch by rembrandt and you see it and you you just think well it's a painting well we got to see it in amsterdam at the rijksmuseum and it's a it's huge it's a mural almost i mean it's almost life size i had no idea it was that big so yeah that kind of stuff is is great i love that the louvre solid choice Solid choice. I wish I had been to the Louvre. I've not been. Yeah, to the I'm Louvre. not either. That's one. That's a. That would be a bucket list museum. If Me I, too. If I had Me a list too. of bucket. And I could. I'm like you. I probably could spend two days there for well, sure. Well, there's there's classes that they have at the universities there that the whole semester is just studying at the museum. Every day they go over there and they spend right. you know yeah. hours uh, yeah. at, at the museum and cool. It, it's what else you got. Is, so this is a, it's kind of a downer, but it was an impactful museum. Uh, we took a trip to Washington DC and, uh, the, the rest of the family wanted to do something else. And I went to the Holocaust Museum by myself in Washington. One of the most quiet places I've ever been. Um, a really good museum when you talk about how it's laid out, how informative it is, the information you get, the impact that it has. You know, certainly you understand the subject matter is is uh, de- depressing and sad, and there's a tragic element to it. But it was at the same time um, somewhat inspirational in that you know when you looked at survivors and and what people uh, came through. But it was just very well done. I think the one thing that I took away from it was I don't think anybody realizes the scope of what that that whole how many people it affected. Generations, the generations, yeah. and just yeah. the the sheer numbers. And there was uh, there was one display where they took I, I can't even remember what it was. It may have been something as small as like bottle caps or or nails, and showed the number of people that were that died in the Holocaust. And it was it was a huge huge amount of you, you're like oh my god yeah. you you hear the number. But this, to visualize this, this it? Vi- you could visualize the number. Wow. And it was uh, very impactful. But, but uh, you know, I, I don't regret going there at all. I, I'm very glad I got to see it. I highly recommend it. Uh, yeah, that, a very good one. That's kind of one of my ties for third. Uh, so I had a uh, my grandma's brother here in town. He was the photographer here in town. Um, and his son was one of the front lines photographer in World War II. And... As a kid growing up here in Herman, we had these shoe boxes, and we didn't understand what we were looking at. And it was piles of bodies. It was Holocaust. I mean, it was prison camps. And as kids, we had, like I say, we had no idea. And my yeah. cousin, who it was her dad, 
and uh, she ended up donating all those photographs to the Holocaust Museum. Nice. They oh, weren't nice. they, there were some negatives, but these were just regular photographs right. that he had brought back. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, my wife and I have been and uh, yeah. our youngest have been to the Holocaust Museum. And like yeah. I say, to me, it was that the part where you walk through the train car. You know, right. when you're actually in one of the train cars, yeah. and you think, "What a feeling that must uh, have been!" Yeah, yeah, it 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 sent shivers down your spine several I'm sure times. It did. But uh, I'm sure. It did. Well, I've got a bunch of honorable missions. Go I, for but, it. But there's one I do want to talk about um, because if you ever get a chance to get to San Diego, the USS Midway is now a museum. The interesting thing about that uh, that I guess I didn't realize the USS Midway was actually commissioned two months after World War II ended. The Midway was named after the Battle the of Battle Midway. The Battle of Midway, yeah. The Battle of Midway. It wasn't in the Battle of Midway. Right. Uh, it had many tours of duty in um, North Vietnam. Right. It, Korea, uh, probably. Is, yeah. yeah, on its last, it, it also helped with the Desert Storm. And yeah. it is an amazing thing. So we were at the American Tort Reform Association meeting, and my boss and I, and it was Veterans Day. And I talked to Gary, and I said, I said "Do you really want to go to these meetings this afternoon?" And he go, I said, "He goes, what would you think about being on the USS Midway on Veterans Day?" He goes, "We're gone." So we took the boat over. Don, it was a, it was you talk about emotional. They had they were pushing guys around in wheelchairs there that had served on on the Midway and before. Lots of Vietnam vets yeah. that had served and. They had all the different aircraft on up on the deck from the various years and whatnot. But the coolest thing was they had these little tents set up in various areas of the ship. And they had people that had served on the ship that told you about what happened in that particular area. So they had one, for instance, set up at the catapult. And he explained the catapult. He explained all of the different uh, colors that they wore up on I mean that's got to be one of the most dangerous places on earth to work on the on the deck of an no aircraft it is yeah but then you went down below and it just blew your mind because you went through I mean it was literally a floating city I mean yep. you know big the big uh the big ships now are too I mean if you go out on carnival you go on any but the way these were organized with the what I consider to be incredibly small little galleys to feed that 5,000 men. Just little things like that just yeah. kind of blew my mind as yeah. you go through it. But, man, I tell you what, you go you went go through the Midway sometime on Veterans Day, and, uh, you know, if you don't feel something, you don't have a soul or, or love your country because it yeah. was one of the greatest experiences in the world. And they did, and they did flyovers and stuff, yeah. and they had choirs up there, and so... Yeah, there was a few Kleenexes that got used that day. It was it was incredible. Well, Veterans Day would have just added to it, but any time you get a chance to tour a U.S. vessel, I encourage you to do yeah. it. We've done the uh, USS Alabama in Mobile Bay, mm-hmm. the submarine, and we've done uh, an aircraft carrier out in Norfolk, uh, Virginia, and it was not one of the big nuclear carriers. It was one of the probably a Midway class, right. same type class, but um, they're – yeah, it's it's just amazing to to see those things. My wife and all, I also uh, skipped a class at the National Association of Mutual Insurance Companies <laughs> conference to go to the Midway. So, so you know, yeah. it was neat. Yeah. We know how to do that. Yeah, well absolutely. worth it. Well worth it. Yeah. yeah my, so, so my third one actually again was impactful, and and more so for what I saw, how it affected my two daughters, and that was we went to uh, made a trip to. Uh, Gulf Shores one time and went through Birmingham, Alabama, and there is the the um, Civil Rights Institute in Birmingham, Alabama, right across from the church that was bombed mm-hmm. where the, the, the girls were killed back in the 60s. Now, that's not to be confused with the Civil Rights Museum in Memphis. Memphis. There is one in Memphis, too. But the Civil Rights Institute also has a museum inside of it. And so we, we went there um, when we were in Birmingham. Again, the, the way the museum is set up and the displays and everything, very interactive. They had uh, video and audio of, you know, the actual uh, things that took place in the 60s. But the, I, I'll never forget the way it impacted my daughters in that they couldn't, they could not in current day get their head around 
things like separate water fountains mm-hmm. or separate restrooms. And I guess they had never even heard of it. They don't, they don't understand it. They don't get it. And so it really made an impact on me that, you know, so much of that history is just, we have to be careful that we're remembering all that stuff. And so it was just, but it's a very well done museum. I, I encourage anybody that's in Birmingham to go, go through it. It was, a, it was a good stop. It was a lot of fun. What else you got, Don? Well, one of those museums that's very random, and I've been to a lot of random ones, was in Rotenburg on der Tauber in Germany. The Torture Museum. <laughs> that's a toe tapper. I mean, you know, think of your think of your medieval tortures, and yeah. and that's it was a small museum, but it had all these different uh, manners of torture back, you know, in the in that the seventeen hundreds. Yeah, it, it was yeah. very interesting. You know, you go to the beer hall and have a few beers, yeah. and you go to there and you go back and have a few more beers. So. Yeah, boy, I bet that hurt. But, but, well, but I got to put uh, and I got to give a shout out the local Herman Museum. Uh, it's very special to me. Yeah. Uh, some of the toys I played with as a kid oh, wow. that my great grandfather had built are in the kids' room. Uh, most of the pictures taken were taken by my great grandfather, who is a photographer here in town. Uh, you know, late 1800s, early 1900s. So, cool. uh, one of the rooms is named after in honor of my wife's parents, who were very instrumental in uh, give everybody an idea museum, where where so. is that down here? It's in? right downtown, right downtown, Fourth okay. and Schiller Street. Right. Uh, it's the yeah. old German school here in town. The first school was a German speaking school, and, yeah. and it's an awesome museum. Cool, G- good to know. And you know, Herman is not unique in that. A lot of these smaller towns and stuff have very good historical sites, historical uh, societies that preserve stuff like that. In Jefferson City, we're lucky to have that. The prison tour, the prison tour. SP, the Missouri a, State Pen Prison a, Tour is a great, great tour. It's a thing. Yeah. It really is. We yeah. thousands of people, you know, before yeah. the pandemic, man. We I think they'll get back on on those numbers that they had before. Oh, I they, do too. I do too. And one of my honorable mentions, and I'll be done, is along the same lines as the Torture Museum. We talked about it on an earlier show, and that is the Mob Museum. The Mob in, Museum. In Las Vegas. Also, yeah. A lot Been of there. fun. Yeah. A lot of fun. Yeah. Well, I've got some my honorable mentions. Um, if you've never had a chance to go to the World War II Museum in New Orleans, it is unbelievable. I mean, and and here's the other thing: it's it's interesting to look at the uh, the board of directors that got that put together. You've got uh, Tom Hanks, Steven Spielberg. Right. You've got some interesting folks that are on that on that list. And Gary Sinise had a Gary lot to Sinise, do with that. I think Gary yeah. Sinise. And the the thing that is amazing about that museum is they have also been the curators of stories. So you can go down there and they have thousands and thousands of stories from veterans uh, that have given their time to make sure that uh, we know exactly what it was like. Yeah. And uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's a library as much as it's a, uh, as it's a museum, but they've got, they've got a lot of cool stuff in yeah. there and it's really incredibly well done you know professionally done and of course the other one my little tip for any time you're in new york city and it rains you go to the metropolitan museum of art (laughs) you know they got a they got a they got an egyptian temple in there for crying out loud it's a cool they got they got who's your mummy they got mummies and stuff but they've also got some of the great works of art like at, at the louvre so that's that does a good one and of course if you're in nashville Country Music Hall of Fame. That's a is great truly museum. one of the best. And I and, forgot and, about that one, you know, and you're exactly right. That oh, is that's one of the best museums I've ever been in. Have you been to that one? I that? have not. Oh, you if you're a go. country you know, you, you, know, like, country you don't even have to be a country music fan. You know. Because it's the history of music in America. It is. And it's just phenomenal. It's so well done. Yeah. Second only down there, of course, to the George Jones Museum. <laughs> where you can actually See the tractor, the, the George, John Deere tractor, the, the that John Deere tractor yeah. that George rode to the liquor, the liquor store, store because he lost his license. Okay. So there it is. Yeah, I think every famous star has a. I know Johnny Cash has a museum down there. Johnny's too, got so. one down there too. Yeah. Uh, Patsy Cline has one yeah. down there, but the George Jones one is really good. They got some of his uh, nudie suits. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
man, oh man, I tell you what. Those there's nudie, a whole those, section, nudie, those nudie suits. There's are a whole incredible. section of uh, nudie suits in the Country Music Hall of Fame. Uh, yeah, there's display. some. Nudie, yeah. There's a bunch of nudie suits in there too. Yeah, yeah. But that's a that's a great museum. So anyway, no there's lots of fun stuff in in Nashville. A lot of so, fun stuff. This has been fun. This stuff. has been great fun. Yeah, it that's is. a good top three. That, that that's too hard. It's too hard. Well, we d- we make it too hard on ourselves. You can't just pick three. We make museums. them too broad. Is yeah. what happens, and then we so we'll just- we should we could have done top three museums in like a particular city. That's what we should yeah. have done. But you know Bobby what, Mr. Inlow, I think I mentioned earlier that when we wrap this show, that perhaps we would go upstairs and there are cocktails up there using the Copper Mule products. I'm thinking we should uh, start to move in that direction. What do you think? Bye, everybody. <laughs> That was was abrupt. Don't mean to be rude, but got to go. Don Gosen, thank you so much. Hey, thanks, Don. Thank you. Thank you all for coming out. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks Uh, for sharing your product with us. We're going to come back and and see you. We will be back. Okay. All right. Don, thanks so much. Thank you all very much. Enjoyed it. Hey, Bobby Vance, until next time, we thank you very much. Keith, cheers. Cheers, everyone. We Like That Too is produced as a labor of love for the enjoyment of Bon Vivants everywhere. To get information about our bottles and links to our guests, go to our website, welikethatpodcast.com. Tune in to new episodes by subscribing on Apple, Spotify, and other popular streaming apps. Please remember to rate, review, and share. And be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at We Like That Podcast. So everybody, hey, remember the numbers. One bottle, two good friends, and three top picks because we We like like that that too. We like that too. We like that too. We like that too. We like that too.